Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Creanitators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today I'm going to be talking to the creators of Squire, a all-ages graphic novel that just came out this year. It's one of my favorites of 2022. We're going to be talking to Sarah Alfie and Nadia Shamas. This is going to be a, a really good conversation here with two uh, up-and-coming fantastic creators in this awesome graphic novel that I definitely want to get out in front of more readers. Squire is the adventure of a young refugee, Isa, hopeful enlisting and becoming a knight for her country will allow her the fulfilling dreams of heroism that she's dreamt about. But the nuanced work has the, the pragmatism to see through this facade and highlight some of the, the problems with that, right? And some of the grotesqueries of the war and violence at the heart of that. It's a really successful blend of, of a thoughtful, challenging themes around race, culture, history, violence, and delightful, charming characters and fun and action all mixed in with that. So some very mild spoilers, very mild spoilers may very follow. Much. I don't want to spoil this because it's it's early. This book hasn't been out that long, um, but we will talk about this in some detail. So Sarah, Nadia, thanks so much for joining. First question for both of you. And how about we start with Sarah here? Mm-hmm. When you're picking the setting for this narrative, there's a few directions you can go, right? Like this could have been in space, could be contemporary yeah. military, right? Like more fanciful fantasy landscape. Um, why knights and squires? Why why this particular sort of um, like realistic uh, past yet fictional? Yeah, uh, and I'm glad that you said that. Well, first of all, I absolutely love you know the tropes of knights and quests and glory and all this stuff that you know Isa comes into the book, uh, you know, dreaming in the same kind of way. Like I definitely grew up reading uh, Knights of the Round Table, and I loved mythologies, and those were the stories that I definitely gravitated towards. Um, and so for me, I really wanted to blend the tropes that I grew up reading and I absolutely love with a setting that I recognized. Uh, and Squire actually started as a much higher fantasy story. I had elves and orcs and all of this stuff. Uh, and I had a very good mentor who was looking at my early concepts. This was way before I ever thought it would become a book. And he asked me very honestly, like, why? Why does it have to be a high fantasy story? I feel like you're using, you know, these, uh, elements as metaphor when I feel like you could just be talking about the meat of what you want to get into. Uh, These issues of identity and these issues of imperialism, colonialism are clearly like very close to you. So why not get a bit closer to, uh, you know, historical fiction rather than high fantasy and not muddy the themes that way. And I was very glad for that uh, piece of advice ended up changing a lot of my perspective and my trajectory. Uh, That said, I didn't want to go full on historical fiction. I think um, Arab Americans in particular, a lot of our stories tend to be politicized no matter what we do. And I felt like the best way to make an honest story was to give myself a little fictional distance and and still allow myself room for, you know, imagination and and coming up with design and not be uh, weighed down by accuracy and by uh, the realities of of the politics of our world, Uh, because that wasn't the point of the story I was trying to tell. So in order to tell a very honest story, Nadia and I had to step into like fiction and then play in that space for a bit. That's interesting. That that definitely connects to, I've seen you both reference in interviews, you know, the historical research that went into this, mm-hmm. um, which I found really interesting at first because I was like, oh, I didn't, I thought this was all like fictionalized. I'm like, what's the history here? Um, Nadia, can you talk a little bit about why that history, why that sense of realism in this world is important to you both kind of bouncing off of what um, Sarah just, you know, described? Yeah, um, I think that we're both huge fantasy nerds, which means uh, that both of us 
all really connected on very similar kind of the media that we loved when we were growing up. And I think for both of us, we talked about how much we loved, you know, stuff like Full Metal Alchemist and Avatar The Last Airbender. And when I look at those stories, one of the things, especially for Full Metal Alchemist, that I appreciate the most is how coherent and real the worlds felt. So I think that we, you know, I wanted to put in a lot of emphasis on doing good groundwork, good world building in order to make the characters feel real. Um, you know, I wanted the characters to feel like they are a product of this world, that their views, their histories, you know, their desires are all coming from a real and grounded place because that that's how people are. So as a result, I think that when we were doing kind of this fictional fantasy world, uh, we needed to look at what the real world was like in order to better understand how to create those systems. And, you know, because of fiction, we didn't have to be like, you know, tied down to, you know, any specificity. We could just kind of take the systems that appeared in history, understand them, and then, you know, replicate them in our world to suit our needs and our themes. And also, uh, you know, the history stuff was just kind of very fun. I think we're yeah. both huge history <laughs> nerds. Um, and uh, like a lot of the, it would be stuff like, oh, you know, I found, I did a bunch of reading on why the Ottomans used curved blades rather than straight blades. And that's because curved blades are better on horseback for slashing motions. And that affects the way that armor is then designed for that type of combat. And then you know, then you go, oh, okay, I wonder what the saddles looked like then. And then I'll find a medievalist on YouTube who does like medieval saddling and I'll send that to Sarah and I'll be like, look at this. And yeah. you know, so that was like a lot of that was a lot of the historical research was most of us just being like giving into our deepest like nerd essence and just, yeah. and just being like, look at this, this is so cool. But yeah, so it was kind of I think uh everything about this book for both of us, I believe, was very indulgent. So I think that, you know, from picking a setting that so reflected our cultural background to deciding to do historical fiction, we uh, we really wanted, you know, all of that was like a very personal choice, but I think that it was needed for the book. I mean, you know, Sarah and I talked in other interviews about how we would spend hours, hours just on the phone doing world building conversations. And we like, I, I, we've talked about like, I drew a really crappy map and then Sarah drew like a real version of that map. And the map never made it in the book. A lot of the things we talked about never made it in the book directly, but it made it in the book through the characters, through the backgrounds, through the dialogue, and through intention. So I think that that's why the, there was so much historical research. I think it just helped make a better story. Sure, sure. So this is, uh, for both of you, this is probably the biggest thing you've done, right? This 300-page I've behemoth. never worked harder in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I believe Comics it. Comics are a labor, a labor first and foremost. So yeah. so two-part question then off of that is, how long was this in the works for both of you? Because, you know, Nadia, you said there it's indulgent, which I think is a little self-deprecating, right? It's also very personal, right? This is clearly yeah, yeah. something that is that has been percolating for both of you all your lives, it would seem. Um, so how long has it been in the works? And uh, what was the hardest cut? You know, uh, what was the thing that you wish you could have fit? So, uh, oh, Sarah, let's, let's start yeah. with you. Yeah. So it's a difficult question to ask when did it start? Because uh, Squire 
began for me actually as a homework assignment just for like art school. I just came up with this idea of like a little girl and this big night and how they go around the world hustling people at, you know, night tourneys and stuff. Um, and you can see glimpses of that in the back of the book. I have some of the original concept art back when it was a high fantasy tale. And, uh, uh, I kind of shelved it. And then in my final year of art school, I got reached out to very randomly by an editor at HarperCollins who was like, hey, do you want to make a book? And I was like, that sounds like work. <laughs> Actually, no. And uh, then I got uh, an agent like three weeks later and he goes, hey, do you want to make a book? And I was like, okay, universe is sending a couple a couple messages I better pick up um but I was so intimidated by the process because uh, I knew how long it could take to do comics and the vision that I had for Squire was a very labor intensive one and I didn't know if I could do this all on my own I'm also very much a collaborator I really get excited by talking ideas out with someone else I can't be stuck in my room like for 16 hours a day in my studio like just with my own ideas, I'll explode. And so I was looking around online trying to see like, who else is in this comic space that's doing stuff like me? Who else is like younger and a scrapper and Arab? So people who are going to have similar cultural touchstones, but also similar, like, um, similar favorite stories and things like that. Mm -hmm. Who do I not have to explain things to? And Nadia was like the only other person in that space. We were both uh, coming off of like our own self-published work on Kickstarter and we were both young and hungry for it um, and excited. And so I slipped into those DMs and I was like, what's up? You want to make a book? <laughs> um, and we, we got talking and it kind of uh, turned from there. We very much pulled Squire from each other. Yeah. Uh, I did not come to Nadia with a squire in mind. It was just one of the projects I had done. Uh, I just asked Nadia very frankly, like, what are you into? And yeah. we talked for three hours that day, just about our favorite anime and video games and tropes. And we realized that we had this story about, you know, immigrant identity and about being on the wrong side of a border that we really wanted to dig into. Yeah. I, uh, when I remember during that first call after we figured out pretty quickly, cause the call started out with like, okay, let's talk influences. Let's just see if we have that matching point. And we did. So then from there, we, uh, I looked through Sarah's like website and, and then, um, the Squire stuff was there and I was very immediately kind of drawn to the environment art that Sarah had done. And, um, you know, we did have a, a moment where we talked about this book, possibly, you know, how, including a magic system. But then, you know, much like Sarah had said earlier, we kind of realized that we didn't need it and that it would just kind of muddy something that didn't need it. So, um, so yeah, I think that for looking at Sarah's environment art, I was very inspired and I was like, okay, this is where we're going to set the world and you know and Daruk was perfect Daruk was everything I wanted in a character so I was like I'm pulling him whole cloth from this he's staying and then he's the only character who like yeah, barely changed yeah. yeah and then from there we kind of built out of the world and uh and it changed I think so I would say that Squire began with our conversations in like the summer of 2018 yeah, and that would be the official start. Yeah, that point. would be the official start. Um, and and yeah, very similar to Sarah, you know, Squire was my first, my first book ever. I I honestly, um, I I wanted, I always wanted to be a writer, but I had given up on it. I thought that I was never going to make it. I was like, this is ridiculous. This is a pipe dream. So I might as well try to find my way in publishing. And so I started freelance editing, and uh. 
while I was doing that, I realized that, no, I actually do have a lot of passion for the stories I want to tell. So when Sarah approached me, I was like, yeah, I, I should take this leap. I should try it. And uh, yeah, so Squire, Squire is the first book I've ever written. Sorry. We, we were very much co-creators from day yeah. one. Like Nadia yeah. sending me visual references and me writing jokes out for her. Yeah. Like we both had our hands in like every line of the script. Uh, and she would see every pass at, at pencils and stuff to make sure it all clicked. So it, it definitely, I, I, I wanted to make one thing clear when I reached out to Nadia and I was like, I'm not going to be your drawing arm. I want to prove to you. I have all these ideas and opinions too. Uh, and I want to say in how this book is written. And it was the same thing for Nadia. She would uh, thumbnail out pages while scripting to make sure that my panel count would make sense. And uh, we would talk about fight scenes and things like that. And it was very conversational and back and forth. I, I To this day, I've been very spoiled by working with Nadia. I don't know if I could ever go back to just drawing someone else's script. It feels so cold to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, awesome. it, it was, it was, it was really nice. Like, I guess getting to know Sarah through the project, because it was like, I don't know when we, the more we got to know each other, the more personal it got to be. And, you know, it started being like, oh, okay, like, we both, like, like when we started talking about Princess Mononoke, I was like, there were times in the script where I would just be like, Sarah, make this anime, just, <laughs> yeah. just with the fight scene. I'll just, like, yeah, make, yeah. I would not even, like, not even try to, like, make, uh, like, oh, hey, this is how the sword is. I'm like, no, Sarah, just, you know what's up. It's anime yeah. time. Let's go. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah, I do have a uh, Princess Mononoke in my my HBO queue now because of uh, Hell yeah. reading some interviews with both of you. I've never seen it, so oh, <laughs> you're you're in. I was like, surely yeah, I need to catch up on this. It's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, awesome. That's funny too. The other the other reference point you keep um you keep bringing up is Full Metal Alchemist, which I had only I started reading this year. So I'm like I've I've like never read manga in my life. I've read a gazillion comics, but like I'd never read any manga at all. And so finally this year, I'm like, yes, I have to do this. It's a uh, and very special is book. It is. Yeah. yeah. And it's, well, it's, it's you referencing it. So again, like I'm new to it and I haven't read a ton of it, um, but I can see these reference, like, like the working for the military and you can just sort of see that I'm early, but I can see the ways that that is potentially going to go wrong. Like there's clearly a shared influence there, I think with Squire and some of the themes that you're touching on. Um, and it just, some of the visuals too, like Sarah, the way you draw facial expressions in Squire is very loose and it's very fluid and, and sometimes it's so over the top and cartoonish in a way that I finding in manga is so delightful. I love it so much. And I, I love it in this book as well. Like it just sells comedy in a way that if you go for too much realism, you know, too much sort of, Oh, there's certain rules and they can't make faces like this. You, you lose something. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I think Squire has that, which is, is very enjoyable. I, I definitely grew up reading, uh, you know, American comics, Marvel and DC was on my shelf since I was born. Uh, but then I drifted away from it and I started reading more manga and watching anime when I was around my middle school years, like peak weeb years. And uh, I, I wandered back to comics by the time I was like late in high school, early college, uh, and realized by, you know, reading work uh, by Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples, I, I got really into Why the Last Man in Saga and realized there's this whole other side of, of American comics that wasn't just the big two. And they were pulling inspiration from uh, Japanese, you know, manga and anime. And I realized there was room to kind of combine these two very dynamic ways of, of storytelling. And so for me, actually, one of the biggest inspirations on how I paneled and laid out uh, Squire, how I decided to do certain story beats, was inspired actually by romance manga, where sometimes showing the action and showing the reaction 
needs equal value. Every time there is a sword slash, I need to see how the character reacts to it. Um, I need to slow down the reader and give them a full page spread to see like the a single character who is this big on the page, just so I can make sure that they feel isolated and they feel alone and they sit with this feeling for a moment. And as much as I love Marvel and DC and, you know, always happy to work with them whenever they come calling, uh, there's just no room to breathe sometimes in those comics, which is why like this Squire doesn't read like a lot of the stuff that's on the shelves. If you're more used to um, the direct distribution type of comics. Like I feel the same way about, about Sarah. I was like, I Squire couldn't have come out with any other collaborator um, for so many reasons. But like one of them is that also, yeah, I, I think for, for shoujo manga, like, the, that really affects the way that I pace my stories. Like I want there to be the kind of like big wide open panels where you get kind of get a chance to breathe and, and live that environment. And I think that, you know, that kind of focus on care on like making moments out of small details. Um, I think one of my favorite things in the books is when Sara uh, will have pages where there'll be an intense conversation. All of a sudden there'll be a panel of something in the background, like a, like, a, like an olive branch or a vase or something, because that is how it goes, right? When you're having an intense conversation, you you flit your eyes around because it's so intense. You focus on little things around you and, you know, things stand out. And I'm just like, you know, that those moments are, are so show <laughs> those moments are so amazing also it's just easier to draw like the moon when you don't feel like drawing <laughs> face. like sometimes i'm like i want to break from drawing this page <laughs> and so yeah sure poetic yeah definitely <laughs> completely intentional genius brilliant yeah. yeah that's awesome that's awesome so yeah no there's definitely really cool stuff in here um as far as there's a page a, a sequence where the the panels take the shape of like a palace exterior, but then the interior is a courtyard. I love that. Um, there's a lot of interesting use of like smash cuts and colors to signify sort of montages and passage of time. Uh, Sarah and Nadia, you talked about the closeness of the, the collaboration here um, in terms of like just that, that page level and that sort of, okay, here's the panel sequence. And like, how did you sort of balance the, because you know, you have so many pages to fill here, right? It's a big book. Like you said, it's a ton of work. How do you sort of balance like, here's where we get inventive. Here's where we just, we got to just convey information. Like what is, what is that tug and pull for you both? That's a pretty good question. Um, I, well, that's wow. where our editor comes in. <laughs> I think, um, and he cracks the whip. He's like, stop having fun. <laughs> I think that, um, for, for the way that I write my scripts, I try to view my scripts as like a conversation, right? So I try to write them for the person I'm working with. And I try to write them where the thing that I am trying to convey is what is the most important thing. And often that's like the emotion or the vibe or the pacing. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm putting my emphasis where like I view my panel descriptions as uh, as kind of like suggestions where I'm like, this is what I think would be very effective. But obviously, if you, you know, you can do whatever because you will probably come up with a better way to convey this. But also I'm trying to think as visually as possible and I'm thumbnailing my pages to take some of the work off of you to the best of my ability where I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about this visually. I will not ask you to draw something that you, you know, 
that is completely untranslatable. So I think that it's kind of good collaboration and the, the page to page turn is just comes from knowing your collaborator well enough and giving them, you know, if you're a writer, you are, yeah, Sarah is not my drawing arm. Sarah needs to interpret what I'm asking or what I, what I, what I'm hoping for the page. And then Sarah needs to go in and add, you know, her own interpretation of the page. So it's just sort of like allowing for that looseness in the in the script for there to be that spark you know of like oh here's another way to do it i think that that's for me as the writer who does not have the matt lion's share of work in comics the lion's share of work in comics is going to be always beyond the artist that's how i try to do it i try not to be too <clears throat> precious i guess i think that's where good ingenuity happens Sure. And I'm sure. going to pretend I know what that word means. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, there's a lot of times where I would just like pitch a different layout back to Nadia. I'm like, hey, I know you just sent in this uh, chapter and you had this idea. I know you told me to make this fight scene two pages. How do you feel about seven? Um, and sometimes like conversations like that would happen where I'd be like, hey, I bumped this dialogue over to the next page because I really want this to actually be a silent moment. How do you feel about that? And we just like go back and forth because um, the page turns were so specific. Every single time you turn a page, you're trying to reveal like a, a different beat, some new information. You're really controlling the the timing of the book, which is what is so exciting about creating comics for me, is that unlike any other medium, you really can slow down time and speed it up in, in just the way that you lay out panels. And that is creative problem solving in a way that gets me so addicted to comics. Like as much work as it is, as labor intensive as it is, like that just scratches a little itch in my brain. Yeah, right. And a lot of opportunities here with a book this size, for sure. Yeah, I mean, especially because you don't have so many, like you don't have moving images, you don't have sound. You don't, So you, there are so many things that you want to create that in, in the, just through sequential images, it's, it's like a good it's fun. It's, it's, you know, when it works, when you like have that moment, it's, it just feels really good when you're staring at your blank page though, for like 20 minutes, you're just like, why do yeah. I do this? Yeah. And then there are days where Nadia is like, Oh, by the way, you're going to have to draw like 300 students climbing up like a training, um, like training activities and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, I signed up for this. I love Nadia. This is good. Yeah. I tell I told Sarah I was like anytime we're at a convention together for the future I owe you at least one dinner on me for the rest of my life <laughs> for making you <laughs> many horses. But it's like yeah, if there's any little piece of advice I can give to any emerging artist or creator who wants to do comics, don't make your first book have eight main characters. Yeah, don't do it. Like yeah. it's fine. You yeah. don't have to. You could love yourself. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. No, it definitely it definitely works. It comes together by the end. Um, it, there's you know getting to the narrative, getting to the story of it. Uh, there's obviously a, a number of themes at play and, and some stuff that I think is really effective. But talking about Isa here, um, you know, so she's she's Ornu, which is this culture that they're they're essentially refugees within this broader territory, right? In this again, like fictionalized yet very realistic and believable sort of Middle East. Um, she has all these moments, right, where she's she. At one point, her her valor in helping her friend um, gets her what she wanted. Okay, I put it that way so I don't spoil anything. And it, but it's but it, she gets it because it's it's the story 
of an Ornu fighting against the Ornu, right? So there's this sort of war against her people, right? Her culture, essentially, her, her heritage. Um, and she's sort of the, the leadership is trying to sell her on like, no, you're a cool story because you're fighting your own people for us. And that's that's the brand of nationalism that. that we want to yeah. sell. Yeah, of course. Exactly. And, and there's a line later too about like enlisting, you know, the hope that enlisting would take the foreignness away. Right. And these sorts of ideas. Um, these are these are, you know, heavy themes. And I think they come across very clearly in this book. I'm curious from both of you. And let's start with Nadia. You know, what was how do you connect to these sentiments and, and what was important for you to convey um, in these in these sequences? I think that, you know, these themes are are just kind of integral to the experience of being, you know, Arab American or honestly, any kind of hyphenated identity. Um, I, I've said it multiple times, but I never, I, I, it's the best way to say it where I say that I'm Arab American, everything I experience is in the hyphen. Um, so I think that when we're talking about themes of, of foreignness, when we're talking about themes of kind of, of race and propaganda, you know, uh, Squire comes very much from kind of what it was to grow up Arab American in the, the Bush era. Um, I was, uh, I grew up in New York and I was, I was, you know, raised in New York and, uh, which means I was in New York when 9-11 happened and I, you know, watched the, you know, my world transform around me overnight. And, um, I think that that never really left me. And especially for kind of talking about the military, I, um, there was always a military presence in my neighborhood, um, in, in my schools, even in my college. I went to uh, Brooklyn College, which is a city college, and there would always be recruiters. And the people who I know who did enlist tended to be poor immigrants. They tended to just not have anywhere to go or they wanted to go to college and they wanted to pay for college. So to see specifically these recruiters coming after these specific people it really made me realize at a pretty early age that, you know, this, this is all a narrative. Everything is a narrative. And so when I, uh, when I got to college and I started learning more about kind of historiography and how history was made, I became really, really fascinated with the fact that history really is just a story. It's, you know, the way that history is constructed is a story and, you know, it's presented to us at a young age as if it's fact, but it's really not. And so I think that the, the big, you know, kind of beating heart of Squire is this idea of, you know, history as a tool, history as a weapon, history as a hammer of sorts. Um, that you can build or destroy with. Um, and so, yeah, I think that all of these themes, and I'm sure Sarah feels the same way, are just kind of, the, this is just the end result of a life lived during this period yeah. of time. Yeah, no, I, and I love that. I love that hammering of the theme of history here because it's it's quite subtle, honestly. Um, I think it's, you know, it's it very prevalent in the work in the way that it's sort of insidious, right? And it's baked into everything that's happening and just the whole, you know, the culture of it all and just trying to train these um, enlisted young individuals, again, who are doing it for different reasons, who are doing it for, you know, the the fame and fortune of it, who are doing it because they don't have anything else they really could be doing, right, option-wise. Um, but just at that history piece of it is just so resonant, especially for myself over the last several years where it's like, just like anger at like, why is this not a part of education? Why was I not seeking this out more? Just all these different avenues where it's like, I, I you know, you just feel like yeah. things were hidden in I, a way I that, mean, you know, 
now when we're talking about kind of uh, with this big influx of books that are being banned and stuff like this is yeah. kind of yeah. seeing this actively it's always happening in real time yeah and you have to take it you have to make a decision in your everyday and step up and be like am I going to speak up about this how do I you know find education find resources how do I support the people who are doing this work and it's extremely difficult and nuanced and it comes down to both like a systematic problem but also on our day-to-day on our uh, individual interactions with each other like what stories are we willing to believe and enforce and is the way we identify how, who does that benefit at the end of the day as well uh, we're, we're all very much interconnected with each other and the moment we start taking anything as truth it has a ripple effect on on our lives and the people we interact with absolutely mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah well said I it's very interesting I mean I think that's that's definitely one arm where this book feels prescient in a way. It feels um, like you're predicting things. But I think that the downside of that is just that these problems are so evergreen. <laughs> you know, and the the other one is obviously just like war and like, like, yeah. like, uh, you know, battles over territory and boundaries, which obviously with what's going on in Russia and the re- Ukraine getting so much attention now, like that's top of my mind as I'm reading this, you know, mid-April mm-hmm. 2022. Um, we have this sort of blood-soaked cloud of, of military violence hanging over the world, right? And it's kind of always hanging there. Um, it's just very top of mind. Like there's a, there's a real sadness, I think, to the youthful exuberance of these characters that we fall in love with. And then sort of the ugly, ugly reality, which I think, um, the, the, the mentor here, uh, blanking on the name Doric, um, that he obviously embodies and he kind of brings like, I know where this leads. It's always Mm -hmm. ugly. And it's, you know, I'm, I want to root for you and I want to help you, Isa, but this is, this is, you know, there's no rightness to this violence essentially. Um, I, I think it's clear what led you to want to sort of explore these themes. I guess I, I maybe a, a way to phrase this then is what do you think the, the sort of the all ages nature of this book affords you in the ability to communicate these themes? Yeah. Um, because it's, there's different ways to approach it, obviously. So I'll, I'll pause there. Oh, <laughs> what, sure. what do you think the all ages affords you I, to, to I communicate this? I think that, this? you know, something that is quite interesting is that is, is who gets to have this conversation at what age? Um, yeah. I think that there are there are reasons that certain experiences are not considered to be just like American experiences. Like often I think sometimes people approach Squire and they think like, oh, this is like a, like a foreign, like this is like an, like a, a, not American narrative because it doesn't have an American setting. However, I think that it is deeply American in the fact that uh, like, you know, marginalized children have to be having these conversations and having these experiences at very young ages. You know, think about how young we were when the Iraq war was happening and these were the conversations that were you know conversations about you know identity yeah and and how you present yourself and uh what risks come with if you say your name one way versus the other way and how do you answer when someone says where are you from but where are you really from and always kind of gauging danger in that way and safety and and uh what opportunities will be taken away from you if you misstep in conversation one day who might be incentivized to uh work against you when you're still a kid you know like this is conversations we're having in like our school setting right uh and and we didn't have that luxury of waiting around for someone to sit down with us and talk about race like no it it happened to us uh and and that is that is an American experience yes that is an American story uh and and that's why I felt like 
this book, um, it was very personal to us and we, we were very honest with like with the kind of, uh, the kind of struggles like we wanted to talk about. Uh, but we wanted to wrap it up with the things that we love and the things that were indulgent to us. Cause otherwise it would be too painful to mm-hmm. go through. Yeah, and right. I was, I was a middle school and high school teacher in my last year of college. Um, and I was developing Squire while listening in on my kids' conversations. And I was hearing them talk about climate change and about BLM and about all of these like major and and seemingly like overwhelming problems and they came in with excitement and hunger and ideas and plans and they'd be the first ones on a street and they'd use my art classes to make protest signs and I was like they're doing something with such energy and such um what is the word like honestly anger that Mm -hmm. everyone else my age and there was only sometimes six seven years between me and some of my students and I was already worn out and I'm like they're they're willing to do the change and no one is listening to them and at the same time it was the Parkland shooting walkouts that were happening and it was 17 year olds going in front of Congress being like you weren't protecting us what's wrong with you guys we don't trust the adults around us and I took a lot of what I was seeing happening in real time and and I poured that into the book I was like I want to talk to teenagers I want to talk to younger people because they are the only ones who who really feel like they can still change something that they're seeing um in the world yeah we say that we made a book that we wish that we could have handed back to ourselves when we were young around that age because i think that one we both like when we talk about the the stuff that we loved when we were young you know uh, fullmetal alchemist avatar the last airbender they did not talk down to kids like it was very apparent and you know there was like funniness and goofiness and and other stuff that kind of obviously but that none of that is a shield to hide the darker themes like that that just kind of was part of it because you know in any kind of uh tragic story there is always there there always are moments of joy and you know being arab is joyous and we wanted that in the book as well but yeah i think that we knew that we didn't want to talk down to kids and also we wanted to give something to younger arab americans or at least i did to Mm -hmm. young arab americans who might feel very disconnected or, or or having be having a hard time with their identities because you know personally I had a very hard time uh with my identity as a young kid so this was something that I think we both were like we got to do this for for us and hopefully you know someone else will read this and it'll be what they need at a time where we needed this and we couldn't have it yeah yeah, that's awesome. I th- I think there is a temptation with Squire, and I've fallen into it in this interview, which is because it brings up good questions and it brings up challenging things. There's a temptation, I think, in an, in post analysis to almost fixate on that. And I've definitely noticed this in a lot of other view- interviews, and I've done it so far already. Um, which almost is a disservice, frankly, to how fun this book is. Like this, book I wrote is- so many jokes, y'all, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like. <laughs> Please, yeah. it's not all doom and gloom. I also, yes. Yeah, I know. I, I think that was the thing that was really funny was that when I was drafting and I showed it to my partner and my partner was like, this is funny. I yeah. I didn't think it was going to be funny. And I'm like, I'm like, no, like it's got to be like, you know, we're, we're, we're clowns. We're also clowns. Yeah. We're goofing our way through <laughs> right. this. You got to laugh. It's, it's too, 
And that's what kids do. It's like they they're having a good time regardless. You know, they're still going to be kids. And so one of the things that I was actually like um, watching a lot of is I would find these meme pages from kids who are in. And I say kids very explicitly because they're like 17, 18, 19 when they're uh, joining the army. It was like meme pages yeah. for kids at boot camp, you know, who those. are in the Marine Corps, yeah. who are in, uh, you know, the, the U.S. Army. And it's just like them doing stupid shit all day in the barracks. And they're like being trained to until like their bones are tired, right? They're going through grueling training. Uh, but all they want to do and talk about is, is you know, uh, how they put their friend into one of the cleaning buckets and like threw him down the hallway and stuff. And I wanted yeah, to yeah. capture that in a lot yeah. of the, the training scenes as well as they're going to be kids. Yeah, absolutely. Always. Yeah, yeah, I think that that also definitely influenced the ending which is just kind of which we're not going to talk about but which is like there was no point in this where i didn't want how young these kids are to feel like they're adults like i wanted them to feel like kids the whole way through because i think that's very important to the experience of the book is that they're going to react to things the way that a kid would you know yeah one of the one of the ways i love that you you sell that is doric is like 10 times bigger than Aiza. Yeah. <laughs> like, he is, like he's a bear compared to her. And, yeah, Doric means uh, mountain in Turkish. It's like okay. a common Turkish name. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's in there. Yeah, no, <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah. I love that. But it's just like, oh, wow. Like she's a, she's a baby. Like she is yeah. so yeah, young, yeah. but she's dealing with these, these huge, heavy things. And also I was, I was very inspired, personally inspired by God of War. Which I oh, love, okay. and yeah. I'm like, I'm just like, I like, I just like, I. Yeah, we love the the gruff, like yes. almost resentful father figure type of like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that is a very common trope that I I just mm, delicious. Love yeah, it. yeah, same. I did. Uh, we had our third this last summer, and I played honestly too much God of War with my newborn baby <laughs> strapped to my chest while trying to get him to sleep. <laughs> And then That's I'd walk good. upstairs and be like, son. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Yeah. And oh. it was important to us also um... – would never do it explicitly because that's corny. Uh, but we wanted to show positive relationships between like older male figures and, and young women and all of that throughout the book uh, because that's not something that uh, older Arab men often get granted. You know, they're not showing this softer side in media. They don't often get afforded, um, you know, these these gentle moments, these caring moments. And uh, same thing with her parents as well. Like, we're not going to have the the first chapter of the story, her disobeying her parents. Like, we've seen that happen over and over again with young women of color resenting their families. Like, no, let there be love. Let there be tenderness. Let's show them uh, what what a lot of these households are like. They're so afraid of what's happening. Um, what They're so afraid for their children that it can come out in these, like, snapping moments. And we see that with her mother in particular. Uh, and that's honest, but it, you know it's rooted in, in love. And you know it's rooted in fear. Sure. Yeah. No, that relationship is really interesting. There's a, I know you've talked about it a bunch in the past, but there, there's a really interesting decision that the parents make um, in terms of just how she talks about or doesn't talk about her culture, right? That I, I was surprised by initially because it seemed, I guess, the opposite maybe of the way I expected that scenario to play out, which was the parents to say like, this is who you are and, and this is, you know, you have to do this. But then it, as the book goes on, they kind of realize like, well, like, no, not, every, not everyone would handle that situation that way. 
And, uh, and you know, there are smart protective reasons. And as a parent, like that level, that layer of protection, um, you know, it's, it makes sense. Uh, so, all right. So let's, let's look a little bit here, um, slightly outside the box. You both have had experience working on Miss Marvel, um, whether through stories or design. Uh, Nadi, you wrote, um, graphic novel, Miss Marvel, Stretch Thin, um, Sarah, I know you've you've designed some characters. I think working with uh, Salad and Ahmed, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think the fans of Kamal Khan can find a lot to love here in Isa. I, I think they're definitely similarly very charming, just like awesome young women in, in comics. What kind of influence do those G. Willow Wilson, you know, early Miss Marvel comics created stories like have on your work now? Um, or kind of how do you, with that being such a prominent example? of the Arab American experience because there aren't that many right across like big two comics like that. Like, what do you think is the influence of that and, and kind of how does Squire relate or connect if at all? I, I, well, I should clarify. It's like uh, Squire's about the Arab American experience. Kamala Khan is uh, South Asian American, still about immigration and uh, being an immigrant kid, still about identity and all of that. Um, so I can't say that uh, G. Willow Wilson so much has inspired my work, but I, I kind of have to, I owe everything to her actually. And and she's a very good friend and mentor to me now, but I started as a huge fangirl of hers. Um, and I would not have actually gone into art school. I would not have started drawing professionally if Ms. Marvel Volume 1 didn't come out my first year of college. It was the number one top-selling Marvel comic at the time. Uh, it was like number one for, for all things digitally in particular. And uh, I picked up the book because I was like, well, I feel like I have to support this thing that's coming out or else they won't make more. It's this like illusion of scarcity that we've been drilled into believing. And I had no expectations going in. And I just sunk into that book so quickly. It was funny. It was compelling. It didn't shy away from these major questions. And I, I was just so blown away by it. But I have to give props to the artist. Uh, I believe it was Adrian Al Alpona. Alpona. I'm not sure how to say his name. But there's a scene in the first volume of a Ms. Marvel where she goes to her local mosque to talk with uh, her, her imam and get some advice. And the carpeting in that scene was accurate. And I'm like, why would you bother putting this level of detail into a book like this? No one's going to, I mean, I noticed, but like, who's going to notice that? Why did you care that someone like yeah. me would know that that's correct? And that was the first time I had had that experience in a comic of like, someone knows that I'm, I'm the reader, I'm the audience member. And I'm worth the effort of getting this detail right. And I was like, okay, this is super well-received and it's gorgeous and it's well-written and, and people are into it who aren't me. So maybe there's room for me, right? And it was like that same week I kicked down my counselor's door and I was like, hey, I'm switching into art. I'm leaving psychology. Uh, and then I told my parents about it three weeks later. Um, <laughs> but like, here we are now, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like I, I owe her for that. And I tell her this all the time and she takes it very humbly but um yeah That's it amazing. would not have happened yeah, no I, I would say that um I was I like when I was a teenager I would read a lot of Batman and then um I uh kind of like was like ah oh, no I'm gonna go I, I started reading like more manga and indie comics and stuff like that and then I would say the thing that got me into Marvel was Ms. Marvel the introduction of Ms. Marvel uh I was like not really that interested in Marvel comics I saw that introduction and I was so like blown away by that first issue 
the like I still remember it and I still remember like the cover and everything and I was like oh my god this is you know this is something and I started like picking up the issues and and that was also the first single issue comic that I had ever picked up um so so I think that I definitely owe a lot of like getting into kind of the direct market superhero comics to the introduction of Ms. Marvel I think something that's a very common misconception for me is that um that I'm Muslim. I'm not actually. I'm just Arab. Uh, I'm a Christian Arab. But uh, I think that it there was so much in Ms. Marvel about kind of identity, so much that like reflected the community that I grew up in, reflected my own family dynamics, reflected my own absolute dorkiness uh, the, as just like as being at that at a, that age. Like sure, I yeah. still I wrote fanfic. Like I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I was like, oh my god. We very much saw ourselves in in Kamala for not even just for the identity stuff. It's like she's this very she's a Marvel like super superhero nerd yeah. you know yeah. and we are too because we're picking up this book exactly it is it's interesting to see that book especially in the context of like what what marvel movies were really coming out at that time you know uh iron man sells weapons to the u.s army like we open with that you know as for the mcu right, and yeah. uh you're watching black panther and like you're supposed to root for the cia afterwards and it's like i i love marvel superheroes i love these stories but then there's this like very weird American nationalism where you're like, oh, I'm the bad guy in half these movies. That's (laughs) not great. Yeah. I don't love that feeling. Yeah. And, and you feel small and you feel like you have to work hard to carve out your space to continue loving the stories. And then something like Ms. Marvel comes out and you're like, oh, there's, there's room for me. That's different. I think that when you are like, um, you know, a marginalized person, especially Arab American, in count engaging with media, uh, in, like American media, there is always a part of you that is like on the defensive. <laughs> That's like, yeah. okay, like I'm. I know I'm about to encounter something messed up right now. I mean, I talk a lot in other. I've talked a lot about fantasy. I even have an essay in the back of the book about like fantasy. I've always loved fantasy, but fantasy has not always loved me back. We are often the orcs. We are the sorcerers. You know, we don't have and and when you get those stories you start to believe that about yourself um and so i think that you know with biz marvel what was just such a breath of fresh air is that you realized for the first time reading something like that i'm like i don't have to be defensive i can put my guard down you know and and just enjoy it and that was you know that's i think that's the revolutionary aspect of Ms. marvel for for me as a reader that's awesome that's awesome i really appreciate hearing all that because i feel like there's a there's almost a temptation i think sometimes to like trivialize representation like i feel like it's yeah. swung a certain way where like for a long time it was like representation matters it's it's all like it's got to be there and i feel like that that almost swung so far where people are like well it can't just be that right and that's true but that doesn't necessarily devalue getting the representation in the first place you know like it, it i don't know it's a, it's a more complex conversation and i think there's a lot to it yeah. um, i mean the it moment is, any, anything gets flattened out into just a phrase like representation matters i'm like and we've lost the plot again you know sure. <laughs> like the okay. whole point is that it's it's supposed to be nuanced and and singular and and all of this stuff i think that yeah. you can really tell 
also now when when someone's going like, okay, I got to check off the checklist versus when someone goes into it, like, you know, with with real intention. I think that like, often what happens now is people are like, okay, well, I just got to, like, I have to do it. And you can tell because the, the, it feels like a sock puppet. It doesn't feel like a, like the real representation of a human being. It feels like just a, just kind of like you skin someone and then you reskin them and you're like, okay, here you go. Like this, here's your rep. And we didn't do anything to like include anything about the real experience. Uh, we just, here, here is there's someone who looks like you. And I think that that's, that's not enough. What Ms. Marvel did. It's literally skin deep. Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ms. What mm-hmm. Ms. Marvel did was like on every level, like we saw some like that carpet, like with the like the conversation she has with her mom on every level you see it and you're like, I know someone came in here and they're like, they're do like this is this is this is intentional and real and they're not just like, oh well, I'll get a wider audience if I like diversify the cast. It's like, no, 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 no. Mm. This is this is intent, you know. I was saying everybody that you see in uh, Squire is like a face of somebody I know. It's a face. uh, Like I had friends pose for me. I was like, can I borrow your hair? Can I, you know, I would say these like phrases as if I'm, I'm picking and plucking from the people that I grew up with and people I know uh, and added them to this book. And like nothing in here is done um, so that we could get you know, brownie points. It's like, these are conversations we've had. These are people we know. These are faces we recognize. And we hope that people come into this book uh, spotting something that's familiar to them if they come from the region. You know, that was important to me as well as uh, thinking of that that moment of seeing the correct carpet. I want someone to go into this book and be like, oh, I have that tea set. Oh, my mom speaks mm-hmm. like that. Oh, I know this. Mm. what this hand gesture means. And I'm not going to sit down. I'm not going to hyphenate it. I'm not going to italicize certain words. Like, if you got it you got it and if you didn't i hope you still enjoyed the story sure sure Mm -hmm. no that makes sense very cool very cool nadia i was just gonna follow up and say um you know having written that miss marvel graphic novel what's the what's the reaction like that been like you know what kind of experience have you had um from from younger readers who've, who've reached out having read that now yeah um i think that you know i've been very lucky to have all the reaction be really really positive it's really you know special to see like a really young kid being like i loved it you know and they you know and and they're not you know they just they just mean it like when kids say mm-hmm. that they love something of yours they just like yeah they just really mean it you know <laughs> and that they think mm-hmm. that that's so special like i love um like I, I love when someone writes something about Squire and you you can tell that they just thought so much about it and about the themes we wanted to talk about. And I, you know, I feel so touched and honored and seen. But I still think that the best review I've gotten of Squire is a friend of mine told me that she gave it to her daughter. And when she tried to take it away from her daughter, her daughter growled at her. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, oh, because she needs to like brush her teeth and go to bed. I'm like, yep, that's it. That's the best review I'm ever going to get. Yeah. <laughs> the best one I got was uh, a DM from uh, a dad telling me that like his son was uh, messaging me through his account being like, you weren't mean enough to the the final antagonist. I'm not going to like spoil it yeah. and, and spoil who the antagonist is, but it's like, you weren't mean enough to them. Like they deserved worse. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> ooh, okay, let's go. <laughs> I was like, I thought it was pretty hard. I mean, listen, yeah. flashbacks to, the, uh, to my reaction at the end of Avatar The Last Airbender where I was like, no, rip his head off as a child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So Squire's quite good. I'm recommending it here. Um, again, we'll include links in the show notes and all that stuff. Uh, definitely be among the CBH favorites of of the year. 
uh, it's early, I'm sure for both of you. Do you do you see a world where there could be more in the world of Squire? Right. It's certainly um, open to that. I think it's very satisfying as a as a story that could have a beginning and an ending. But where where do you both stand on potentially revisiting? Not even knows my answer. <laughs> I've said it a lot. <laughs> uh, comics are a lot of work. And um, I think that right now we don't have any plans for any continuation of Squire. However, that does not mean that we would never consider coming back. I think both of us have kind of a vague idea of where it could go next, but you know, no direct plans to start on that anytime soon. So the answer is don't wait. But you never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and who knows? It might not be in comic form the next time we revisit it. Maybe it'll live as uh, something else. We'll see. Uh, me personally, like I don't have um, the. I, I'm now taking a slight turn in my journey in publishing, and I'm doing a bit more work uh, in picture books and children's books. So I feel like all of my work has kind of steadily gotten younger and younger. Like I started doing work for like, uh, you know, uh, adult readers. And then I started doing work for teens and then I did a middle grade and now I'm doing like a kid's book. So who knows, maybe I'll do a, a fantasy guide, uh, for infants next, but like <laughs> for now it's it fantasy A to Z. Hey, we'll, we'll yeah. pick yeah. that one up yeah. over in this Actually, household. Yeah. That would be nice. That would be fun. I'll, I'll text. I'll text my agent afterwards and there you go. bother there you go. about it. Yeah. Um, I was like, mm, that sounds fun. I do want to do more fantasy. Like that, I have not burnt out mm -hmm. from that. It's still like, ooh, I want to dig into it again. And I would keep drawing Squire. I don't know if I'd do it for another three hundred pages in like a single year. That was yeah. a lot of work. Um, and I, I honestly have to shout out uh, my my colorist assistant and uh, my flatter who helped make this deadline possible. That is uh, Mara Jane and uh, Lynette Wong, who without them, the book would not be final. Uh, comics is 100% a team yes. effort. There's no such thing as like the solo genius no. unless you're the guy who did mouse maybe you're bill watterson but like besides them no solo geniuses yep. uh and and yeah we got to give credit where credit is due in this process one thousand percent um yeah no i uh i'm i'm very happy with squire as it is i think if it if it never continued it's exactly what i wanted it to be but if we ever wanted to continue i have some ideas cool very cool. Yeah. So what uh if if not Squire, then what is what's next for both of you? Um what do you have on the radar or things that you definitely want people to know about that they should uh they should get ready for or go check out? Uh, so my my main uh, position actually is uh, I'm a game developer. I uh, run a company called One More Multiverse where we are trying to make it as easy as possible to uh, create and make uh, and play tabletop role-playing games like Dungeons and & Dragons. Um, and yeah, you can check out One More Multiverse. And uh, it hasn't been fully announced yet, but uh, my upcoming children's book is called Not Yet. It is the story of an unlikely skater. It is about how uh, uh, the first uh, figure skater who competed in hijab, um, kind of like the story of how she got into it. Uh, and I'm working directly with that athlete right now. Oh, cool. uh, and it's going to be a good time. Yeah, it's going to be out with Scholastic. But other than that, I'm chilling. I'm doing a couple book covers here and there, but mainly game development. Very cool. Gotcha. Um, 
I have another book that's coming out this year, actually, in October. Um, it's uh, co-created with Marie Anger. It's called Where Black Stars Rise, and it is an adult horror graphic novella, which is coming out from Tor Nightfire. Uh, it is a kind of retooling of The King in Yellow by Robert Chambers, and um, it's, uh, yeah, it's basically about... Um, a uh, therapist in training, Dr. Amal Roberdeen, who is also an immigrant from Lebanon, who encounters her first patient, whose symptoms seem to be more real than they should be. Um, and when that patient eventually disappears, she goes on a quest which takes her to another dimension of Carcosa uh, in search of finding her patient, but maybe she's going to find more than she bargained for. Um, so yeah, that comes out in, uh, if you're a fan of cosmic horror, uh, I would definitely say you should check it out. Um, and, uh, well, yeah, this is where me and Nadia converge as creators. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go do some cute shit. And then and I was just like, <laughs> horror. I was like, I, I would collaborate with Nadia on everything, but she does have this like dark horror, like <laughs> it's very funny yeah. because I, I always am like, I like, yeah, like I love fantasy and YA and I love doing like those big adventures, but it's like, I have two modes, one of which is like very fun genre YA. And then the other mode is like, just, just, just horror. Just like how, how gross can I make this? <laughs> and, uh, but yes. Yeah, so uh, also I have, I um, was lucky enough to co-write the next three issues of Detective Comics with the the legendary Mariko Tamaki. Um, oh, and cool. I think that uh, the first issue of that, which is Detective Comics uh, 1059, should be coming out very soon. Um, and uh, yeah, I have other things that are going to be happening within the Marvel and DC space that I can't talk about yet, but you know, keep an eye out if you like my work in those spaces. Cool, so cool. cool. That's awesome. Hey, oh my gosh, that reminds me. I can't believe I forgot. Uh, you just wrote an X Force annual, did. didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> I'm a huge. Uh, I'm a big X Men nerd. Oh yeah, um, and I, I totally you liked for it. some reason forgot that. <laughs> yeah, what was uh? So it, you got to write some good, uh, some good Beast stuff, right? Yes. With with some Beast comeuppance. Yes. Um, what was it like for you digging into the? kind of the current x-men narrative and, and specifically where beast is at yes i was uh i was not fully up to date on x-men i have friends of mine who are like massive x-men fans so i was like i gotta i gotta you know like you know what i trust their taste so let me like see what this is all about and so when i was seeing about kind of when i did research about like uh you know, Krakoa and in the current state of things, especially what Beast was up to, I was like, oh, oh yes, okay. Well, this is I have to I have to dig into this. I you know, these are all themes like espionage and and power and like, you know, uh, like nations and like what does it mean to do the right thing for your nation? Like I was like, all right, all these themes, I know them, I love them. So I had to uh <laughs> and the thing is is that I think when they first approached me, the my one thing was like, okay, but um Emma Frost has to be in it i need to write emma frost i i love <laughs> emma frost i have a i have a deep weakness in my heart for like beautiful and vicious women which is also why i'm obsessed with talia al ghul 
<laughs> so sure, yeah. like so i was like all right i gotta put emma frost in here so just writing emma frost being you know the bad bitch that she is i was just like yep this is this is it was it was great it was really fun to write those scenes and i think that when i first approached it i was taking it a little too seriously but then i was like it's x-force let's have some fun they're going to a <laughs> yeah. volcano <Yeah. laughs> a volcano filled with a murder trap yeah, yeah exactly. you, can, you can play with it as fun it is as it is to do like creator owned work like Squire, sometimes it is nice to like pop back into, you know, Marvel and DC and they give you this like toolbox. It's like, these are the villains who are free right now. And these are the toys you can play with. And it feels like, like you're picking things up and be like, oh, I want this person to hang out with this person. You yeah, would, like, yeah, feel yeah. like a kid again. Pretty much. I was like, oh, all right. Yeah. I'm going to put them in like a murder phase in a volcano. And I'm going to like, and I, you know, getting to know, like, I did not really know a lot about Quentin Quire but he's now a fave i'm like yeah quentin you <laughs> like i love the i love his dialogue all the time yeah so i i would say that you know working on x-force was super fun i would do it again um and uh yeah and it might it might even make an x-men reader out of me okay excellent excellent glad to hear it yeah no those the beast emma frost scenes were were very fun Thank i enjoyed you. those quite a bit uh but yeah i can't oh my gosh i could i could go for hours on x-men so i will spare you both yeah well, well <laughs> Save me part time. two <laughs> yeah yeah right yeah. for sure um awesome okay is there anything else that you want to make sure uh people know about um where they can find your work or anything else important that we didn't you touch on you can follow along with what i'm up to at sarah alpha g both on twitter and instagram if that's your jam but yeah that's where you can find me and say hello yes unfortunately you could also find me i'm just you know nadia shames uh on instagram and also on twitter i am nadia underscore shames underscore there is another nadia shames who is sitting on my name and has not tweeted <laughs> since like 2015 and i'm like please please someone give me the account <laughs> all right good deal okay so squire's awesome uh recommend it everybody check it out in the show notes again i'm dave you can find all my stuff at comicherald.com and of course at comic book herald on twitter and instagram thanks so much for joining and enjoy the comics <laughs>